name is Neil Middleton and every month we create informative content for you as we talk to important, influential and inspirational people from the world of bats as well as other areas of interest. To find out more about Batability, go to batability.co.uk. Now for the interview, let's do it. And welcome, welcome, welcome everyone. I am so excited today because today I am talking Bat Book with Dr. Volker Runkel. Now, Volker is the lead author of the Handbook of Acoustic Bat Detection, and we're going to be talking quite extensively today about the background to where that the idea behind that book came from. And we're also going to be talking, obviously, quite a lot about the content of the book and the purpose of the book. How are you today, Volker? Hello, Neil. I'm fine. Uh, so um, I was enjoying nice coffee before and was sitting at the fireplace, getting warm. And now I'm ready to give some insights into the book and uh, the, the story about and behind the book. Yeah, no, that, that's brilliant. And uh, thank you so much for being here. This is the second time we've actually done an interview with yourself. Uh, the first time was, I think it was back in June of this year, June 2021. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but back then we were talking about EcoOps and EcoOps products, hardware, software, that kind of stuff. And you're you're one of the owners or the one of the owners in EcoOps in Germany. Is that correct? Exactly. Owner and, and founder, yeah. Yeah. So if anybody's watching this today and you want to know more about EcoOps, uh, Google them. They've got a website. No, you're in Germany, Volker. And I'm close to Bremen. Okay. Exactly. Around this area. Not, right. not directly at the coast, but um, now I drive from the coast. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. That's, yeah. That's a lovely area. That is the that that bit of Germany there is the only bit of Germany that very sadly. I have ever visited. Okay. <laughs> I, I did a, oops, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I did a cycling holiday uh, okay. up in this area for a couple of weeks. Oh, goodness, maybe about 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. I absolutely loved it. Uh, it was just so good for cycling. And, exactly. Yeah. yeah you wouldn't want to go anywhere else for cycling uh, because anywhere else you have steep hills and um, it's, much more yeah. fun up there where you have flat land and um, you can see things. Yeah. Yeah. And lovely for wildlife as well. I seem to remember uh, seeing lots of really nice birds, you know, lots of uh, woodpeckers and, and stuff like that, you know, some, some stuff yeah. that I wouldn't normally see as easily in yeah. the United Kingdom. So that's nice. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> we're here today to talk about uh, the book, The Handbook of Acoustic Bat Detection. Uh, the publisher is Pelagic Publishing. And the description on the Pelagic site, which I'm assuming, uh, Volker, you had some uh, input uh, into, was that this book offers an in-depth understanding of acoustic detection principles. It provides practical information on study planning, data handling, automation and manual identification. And it also provides a deep understanding of bat sound. Volker, do you feel that those three statements there, uh, does your book 
justice is this yeah 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 i would say it it it, it does justice very well um it's describing exactly what you can expect uh when reading the book yeah yeah now one thing and i and i have read the book i mean i've, I've got my copy here in the background and uh, we've also bought a few extra copies to give away as freebies over the coming months to Batability club members and I have read the book cover to cover. And to be fair, uh, because I'd done a bit of research about the book before I got it, it was kind of what I was expecting. But there might be a little bit of a concern on your part that it may not be the kind of book that most people buying an acoustic bat detection book would be expecting. It doesn't really go into things like identifying different species of bat acoustically, for example. Yeah. Any, any thoughts on that? It, it doesn't on purpose, um, because um, when you're working with bat sounds and you're doing the species identification, um, this is the last step. And uh, why write a book about the last thing to do uh, if you have so many other things before you get the calls, uh, which you have to think about, which are equally important. So um, my idea was to have a book about the first steps in, in bed detection and um, leave the species identification to the other authors. Um, yeah, and, and, and that's that's exactly that's exactly how I felt when I when I first got it and you excitingly take it out of the, the packaging. And I don't know what you do when you get a new book, Volker, but uh, you know, you get it out of the packaging and you kind of touch it and you kind of you smell that new book smell, and then you, you know you pick up the book and you kind of go, oh, you very quickly just want to kind of look through it and see what's in the mm -hmm. chapters and the rest of it. And, and then I thought, oh, hold on a minute. You know, <laughs> this is precisely what I was expecting. You know, there is nothing in here about species ID. Well, there is not that much in there about species ID. And I start thinking, how does someone write a book that many pages on acoustic bat detection and not cover species ID. So I was straight away, straight away, I was intrigued. I thought, how much can you write about this subject without touching on species ID? And wow, I, I was I was impressed. Um, before before we get too much into the content, though, let's talk about your co-authors. Okay, so Guido Garding and Ulrich Markman. I uh, hope I've got the pronunciation. Absolutely uh, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, tell me about your co-authors, because I think we need to talk about them uh, a little bit before we start getting into too much. Definitely. Itself, yeah. Definitely. So the, 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 the third, uh, Ulrich Markmann, I call him Uli. Uh, Uli and I, we started uh, working on bed acoustics at University of Erlangen, where I did my PhD. Um, this is like in the early 2000s. And um, what we did, we wanted to um, identify species, but in the process, we ended up quite often sitting in our uh, uh, sound chamber, uh, 
playing around with microphones, doing things. And um, we quickly realized that, um, for example, if you want to do a species identification, you need a sonogram. So you have to use a computer and you, you click some things on a computer and then you get an image of the call. So we, we were interested, what happens? What do you have to do? What, what, what does the computer? And then we quickly realized there's um, a lot going on that you should understand. So Uli and I were doing many, many strange things like uh, setting up uh, big areas with foam in the outside to see can we cancel out echoes and bad calls, stuff like this. So um, a lot of the content goes goes back to Uli and me. We, we pushed each other uh, while we were at university, um, just trying to, to, to get further. And um, this was long, long before uh, we were writing the book. This was just, um, yeah, this just happened. Then there was a break of a couple of years. And um, meanwhile, um, True to um, EcoOps, um, I had a lot of clients, and one was Guido Gerding. He's working as a consultant, and um, yeah, um, quickly realized it helps to have someone on team who's um, doing this in his daily work. He's not a scientist, but has to earn his money with um, finding out where the bats hunt, so uh, which projects are okay, which are not. Um, so this this came together. Um, and um, mostly Uli and Guido just verified my writings. They gave uh, ideas, they gave input, um, how to improve graphs or um, passages, uh, paragraphs, uh, so they, they get a better understanding for the reader. Okay. And originally it was written in German. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And published in 2018, yeah. Yeah. There was even a, a first edition kind of thing, which with a different title. Um, the, the, the background, may, maybe a bit more to, on, on the history. I've, I never had the intention to write a book. Um, exactly. This, this is kind of the second extension, uh, edition where we, where we um, used handbook as title. There was one before. And when, when I was working with, with clients of EcoOps, I often saw uh, they have no idea what they're doing. They just think we have a detector that's doing automatic recordings and doing automatic identification and that's it. Um, so I started writing a kind of guideline for customers of EcoOps and um, when starting to write this, suddenly I had 60 pages, I had 70 pages and I decided this is something more than just a short PDF I hand out to customers, but this is something else. So um, the idea for the book was born. And then we had a first edition. Um, we pushed it out quickly because um, when, when you start writing something like this and you see people need this information, you want to have it ready and with people. And then we worked more calmly on the second edition, which then was titled Handbook, um, which you see here, the, the blue German version. If you're enjoying listening to our podcasts, perhaps you would also be interested in joining Batability Club. To find out more about Club, which includes hundreds of hours of accessible training resources available to you in your own time and at your own pace, 
www.compatibility.co.uk. Thank you. So with, with, with the handbook, okay, the, the handbook, uh, yeah. the German version, um, how, how easy was it uh, to attract the interest of a publisher at that time? Um, was, you, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, it, it, it was done in self-publishing. Oh, okay. <laughs> it never publisher. So um, for those listening or watching uh, that know a bit about um, setting text for books, uh, we used latex, so something very strange um, because this was helping us. We have, we, it is free. You code the book like like you do a program and then there's a PDF produced and uh, all the uh, headings are bold, whatever you, you, you said. So um, we did this ourselves um, and we, we went to a self-publisher. Um, yeah, and that's it. Okay, okay. So for it then came, I suppose, then to doing the English version of the book, which we're seeing now today. Uh, I, don't, I suppose there wasn't the complexities of trying to get permission from the original publisher to go to a new publisher because you guys were the original publishers. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. And um, I know Nigel for, for, for quite some years, uh, since... 15 or 16 years, I know Nigel, and when we were talking um, about other things, I mentioned the, the German book, and he said, okay, I'm interested. And I said, yeah, um, would be nice. Uh, I don't have anyone doing an English translation. So um, if you have someone, I don't want any money. The same is for Guido and Uli. We, 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 it, is, it is kind of a, of a hobby project, or it started as a hobby project, so we said, um, we don't have to do a living from a book uh, and publishing is not so easy nowadays. Um, so um, if Nigel has someone to translate, he gets all the, the rights for it. So uh, for the English translation okay. and we, we get a free copy, great, uh, okay for us. So um, this, is, uh, this is how the, the, the um, how Pelagic started to work with us. Okay, and goodness, and that is a that is a very uh, generous approach from yourself. But I understand where you are coming from there. So let's let's talk about the let's talk about the translation process. Uh, look, as, as you know, I've I've written a few books myself, but I've never had to work with a translator. Uh, I mean, I have. I find it. And I would imagine you would as well. I find it challenging enough working with the copy editing process and someone who speaks my own language telling mm -hmm. me how things should be changed. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine how that then becomes even more complicated going through that process when it's not your first language and the person doing the translation possibly doesn't even know that much about the subject matter you're writing about. So I'm really intrigued for you to tell us a little bit about how, how was that for you, Volker? <laughs> yeah, it, it, um, I didn't know what to expect. And suddenly I had a Word document in English of my book with hundreds of comments. Okay. okay. Mm. <laughs> and then you have to start uh, to, to understand, is this a comment because um, 
the translator is not into the topic. Uh, Ian McMillan is into the topic quite well. He translated one of my, um, yeah, one of the books about bats I started with in German. He translated it to English. So um, uh, this, this was very nice, uh, but still uh, with, with audio data, with uh, acoustics. There, there were a lot of questions. Um, and then you have to start to understand, okay, or to, to, to find a way to, to, to help to, to find the proper words for a good understanding. Uh, we have a German idiom, for example, in there. I'll find the, the proper English word. And um, I must say it's, it's hard sometimes. Um, and you sit there and you think, okay, uh, suddenly you have to rewrite a whole paragraph um, because uh, things changing. Um, this was the, this this was a very very time consuming process uh, or translating all the the images all the graphs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh... <laughs> did, did you still have the original versions of the graphs so they could be easily changed or did you? Just yeah, have I have them. There? I have them. Uh, I I done them all myself and um, I've done them with some unusual Apple Macintosh software. So okay. I couldn't just give the device to to Nigel and say find someone using Adobe Illustrator, whatever. Yeah. So I had to do trans translations myself. Um, then you, 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 you had a different labeling system. So I had to relabel them. And that's tedious if you have 50, 60, or I don't know how many graphics we have, but so um, you have to relabel them. You have to take care so you don't relabel them wrongly and uh, things like this. And then, which was the most interesting thing in the translation process, there's some kind of um, bad culture between, uh, or differences in, 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 in bad culture between uh, Germany yeah. and the UK. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. okay, you focus, here we, in, in the German version, we focused on, on different topics in, in some chapters. And uh, yeah, in the UK, <laughs> no one would have understood what we're talking about uh, because, the, the, for example, um, zero crossing detectors yes. and heterotine detectors, you, you know them, but yes. there's a big cultural shift in using them yeah. between Germany and the UK. Yeah. Um, in Germany, by, usually... By, by that, yeah. do you mean they get used a lot more often in the UK? Yeah, exactly, yes. exactly. Yes. Zero crossing uh, was or is still common. In Germany, it hardly played any role. Uh, there is a small area here here in the Northwest and the Bremen area. Yeah. There, there, there are some people still using Annabeth, for example. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but else. you're right, in, in, the, in the UK, uh, it's it's it, it's beginning to change now. I mean, I would say the yeah. last the last few the last couple of years it has changed uh, quite a lot. But uh, if if I go back five years, uh, you know, pretty much, especially for big projects, so things like wind development, uh, road development, and the like, I would say it was probably the norm. That exactly, yeah. back consultants use zero crossing. That was the most common, most efficient uh, system that that they used. Uh, it it has changed though. I mean, it, it's I would say it's 
in the last year, the last two years, uh, I've seen a very definite swing now towards full spectrum. But but yep. you are right; it is a that that would be a cultural difference. Yeah, and then and then um, if you then look a bit deeper, uh, the Anabed zero crossing is based on a frequency division system. Yes, <laughs> I had one frequency div division system in my hand once. Okay. It's not at all used in Germany. So, um, and in, in, in the UK, you even record uh, the signals and doing computer analysis. Uh, so it had to be covered in the book. And um, apart from Ian, there was um, another per person, sadly, I don't remember the name yeah, right now, but he helped, he helped a lot. Yeah. Um, and we have it in the, in the preface. We have his name and his work uh, mentioned in the preface yeah. because this was something very special. And so, so um, it, it's, it wasn't only a translation language from language but yeah. also from concept to concept in in at least some parts of the book so i think, uh, I think i'm right in saying that that was maybe philip briggs that exactly you. philip briggs yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly exactly and uh this was really interesting yeah. um to see okay um we're talking about very different things sometimes even so we do the same we want we want to detect bats and use their uh, echolocation calls so um but it can be very different so this 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 was on top of all the language translation there was this really interesting cultural translation in some parts yeah yeah I, i've got i've got to say right I, I would find i would find that hard i would find that hard okay i mean i i, I find the whole process uh, quite hard, but to add to add the dynamic of the translation and the dynamic of trying to allow for the different culture, um, uh, that I am just trying to imagine. Uh, I think I think what I find, and tell me if this is the same for you, Volker. You you write the book, yeah. You put together all the figures. You send it to the publisher, and at that point, you think the job is finished. Yeah. But, and, I, and I've been through this a few times now, and that's how I felt the first time. I thought, that is it. The job is finished. Mm -hmm. It's now the publisher's problem. Yeah. And it's like a month later, it all comes back to you. And it's like you've got to start again. Yeah. And for you, it must have been like you were starting again. Twice, exactly. You know, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I, I would just be so oh, you was know? <laughs> cursing sometimes. It was all done in my free time. That that's yeah. okay. But then, uh, of co of course, you also want to finish it quickly. Otherwise, it sits on your desk all the time, and the publisher yeah. waits. And so, okay. Uh, for example, we 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 have a couple of sonogram images in the book. Sonograms are com computer generated images which have a uh, low resolution. Per definition, because they 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 based on uh, how these uh, sonograms are created using uh, fast Fourier transforms. So, um, printer, we need them in high res. <laughs> Not possible. We need them in high res. Not possible. So 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 you start to work, and and now I have I have adopted uh, one of my software applications. Now, after the book book is printed, now I might be able to produce high res sonogram images, but uh, uh, too too late. So um, yeah, and you, you you sit there and you think, okay, hmm, how to solve this problem? Yeah, yeah. 
or you, you, yeah. you, you're imaging software when you use gradients, rasterizes and uses low um, pixel per inch. So uh, there are a few dots only to, to be printed, so they're not sharp. So, okay, find, find, find these stupid mistakes. <laughs> and, uh, it takes an hour to find out what it is, then you know for all the other um, images, but yeah. And then you start over and uh, not again, please. No, uh, no new email. Yeah, uh, that, that, that whole thing about the pixels and photographs, that always, that all, in, in, well, the pixels anyway, the resolution, that, that always intrigues me because I, I, I've had the same myself, okay? And they're looking for this super duper pixel resolution. But then you think to yourself, but hold on a minute, 20 years ago, you know, you wouldn't have been able to get that resolution. And it, it looked okay 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Is someone really going to notice the difference? You know, is it really going to really notice yeah, the difference? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. But, yeah. but, but a printer will, uh, yeah, a printer will be absolutely adamant that they've all noticed the difference. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So this was... Uh, to conclude this, this was a very interesting process and um, who knows, maybe I have some other book ideas and um, I think I would, would do it again. Even so it was time consuming and frustrating sometimes in the end, uh, the output you get is just amazing. Yeah, and how do you feel? Because doing this this way through a publisher, uh, there'll be that point in the process when it's all done and the the final versions in hard copy arrive at the publishers and they then send you yeah they then send you the box with your number of free copies in it for argument's sake or the package that shows you the very first hard copy of what you've been working on for years um how do you how do you feel when you know that that's the box that's arrived and you're beginning to open the box are you are you excited or are you slightly apprehensive that maybe it hasn't quite been done exactly how you imagined it on the computer screen i mean talk talk me through that process yeah uh, so uh, of course absolutely excited even so um i had two german editions now with the English edition, with this nice, uh, with this nice cover, it's just exciting. So just to know, okay, this is a book. It's written by me, and it fits well with all the other Pelagic and whatever uh, publisher books. So uh, it's it's really amazing just to put it next to the others um, in the bookshelf and just think, okay, boy. And it, Regarding the, the the quality in comparison to what I've seen on the screen, it's um, maybe it's a bit different. Uh, so I had no real expectations um, after doing self-publishing with my German edition. Anything that's went through a publisher is better, of course. So um, yeah, and uh, the the coloring scheme, etc., is what it was just perfect. So. Um, nothing to complain and I'm really happy and I, I think I will keep all the copies I got 
just for myself. So that you've given a copy to your co-authors, no? <laughs> they, have, they, have, they have received, yeah. yeah. Oh, they've, they've got, they, they'll get their own copies in. Anyway, yeah, of exactly. Course. Yeah, of course, yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's that's excellent. That's excellent. Now, I've got, I'm going to go back to the I'm going to go back to the, the screen uh, with the with the PowerPoint, and uh, yeah, it's uh, so how how different? Okay, no, there's something else I want to ask first. Yeah, uh, you've talked about the English translation there, as if it's only applicable to bat workers in the United Kingdom or the British Isles rather but of course there are going to be bat workers in lots of other countries for whom the German edition maybe wasn't that accessible to them but the English edition uh, might be more attractive to them because maybe English is their second language as opposed to German being a second language. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking about people uh, maybe in uh, you know Portugal, Spain, France, the Netherlands, Belgium, Scandinavia, uh, or maybe other parts of the world. So I'm imagining that part of the marketing strategy or the anticipated audience for this book isn't just going to be firmly rooted in the British Isles. Any thoughts on that? Uh, the the adapt, uh, adoptions we made for the British Isles were, were just additions. Um, so, um, and for example, if you look to Australia, where frequency division and zero crossing um, is uh, used a lot or was used a lot as well um, with yeah. Chris Corbin coming from there yes. or d d doing a lot of work there um, and uh, the Annabeth coming from, from uh, Australia. Um, so at least... British Isles and uh, the Aussies will will like it, but uh, we still kept all the other content. So uh, we, we did not exchange um, to have a special version tailored to the UK bed workers, but it's still um, um, useful for bed workers all over the world. So, um, and, and since beds are nearly anywhere on this world, uh, you can use this handbook anywhere, anywhere on the world. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, yeah, and I think this is what I was I was thinking when I was reading it, because uh, you you always read it with from your own perspective. Uh, anybody that reads anything, I suppose. But as I was reading it, I I was thinking to myself, uh, almost all of this would be transferable to anybody doing big bat projects, especially yeah, you know anywhere. Um, it's it's not something that. To, would just be uh, useful to even just an audience in Northwest Europe. You know, it would be useful anywhere. Um, I would say yes. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about the the content of the book and get a little bit more behind why some of these things are important and, uh, you know, and stuff. Now, we're, we're not going to go through this chapter by chapter, but I've just put the table of content up there and some images from within the book up there just to give people a feel uh, as to, you know, what's in the content at a high level. And as we've already said, this is not about how to identify 
one species of bat from another species of bat. It's more about the whole thought process in selecting equipment, in deciding upon a survey method, in uh, looking at uh, how to uh, set up recording devices, and then considering, I suppose, in quite a lot of depth, uh, the challenges that occur with manual identification of bat sound using software for argument's sake, and an awful lot of emphasis on automated classifiers and the challenges posed there, which sometimes all gets rooted right back to the beginning of the process. What microphone did you use? Where did you put the microphone? And all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's an awful lot in there. Um, tell me, you know, I'm going to shut up. You tell me <laughs> what you think are the most important take-home messages amongst all of this at a high level. So the, 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 first, the first and one of the most important um, take-home messages is um, how to use acoustic detection or acoustics when 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 you work with bats uh, so um this is really complex um it's it's not just um using a detector or which detector uh, but you quickly see there's uh so much you have to consider and uh this this is why um why we have um put a lot of of um efforts into into how to set up a detector, what, what you have to avoid or what you should try to avoid. Um, so um, you, you can get data that you will later use for species identification, for example. Um, so a lot of, 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 of the, the planning, it's, it's not, uh, we have a chapter on, um, for example, we have a chapter on how to plan acoustic studies and um, anyone will agree that there are even more possibilities than we describe. We, we, we just try to uh, raise awareness that when you design a study, it has an implication on the data you get. So you have to always consider what you need um, and how to possibly achieve it. Um, things like this, you, 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 you don't le learn this at university. Um, even so you can learn at university still how to do transects um, on plants or, or birds. Um, but uh, as soon as you have stationary devices, um, hmm, what to do with stationary devices that are um, recording bets for a month or a whole year, um, what do you have to consider? Also, where to place them? Um, there is now, um, as much as I'm aware of, um, there's now more awareness for um, getting good recordings. So uh, don't hide your microphone behind leaves because you get recordings you won't be able to identify species with, uh, things like this. Uh, this is, for example, um, something that people never understood for a long time. And um, I was always um, unhappy when I got recordings. Please, Volker, 
can you tell me if this is species A or B? And I, I get a recording and I see, okay, yes, you have uh, a forest uh, that you recorded, things like this. So this, this is one main focus. Um, of course, the other focus um, is when you're into the process of identifying species, you have many, many tools at hand. You have your brain and can do it manually. You have uh, software tools that can help you. But you always have to understand what are the pitfalls, what, what are the problems. Um, so independent if, if you're doing a manual or automatic species identification, you you have to consider variability of bad calls. You have to consider uh, the effects of your detector. You have to consider the effects of your of your software. Um, so this is another very very important thing um, that we wanted to to, to stress out. Um, for example, what what can an automatic software give me as information? It can tell me it's species A. So with a probability maybe even, but what, what is this probability worth? Is it worth anything at all? And there are no publications, to my knowledge, giving you any insights what's happening. So uh, we, I think we, we found very simple images displaying what happens if you have um, a software that is trained with species A and B, with as many calls as you want, and then you have calls in between, what happens? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you still will get high percentages of probability, even so it's false, uh, things like this. And um, people don't, uh, people always think 99% is sure, but it isn't at all. So um, yeah. this, yeah. this was another, another thing we wanted to, to show, um, please don't believe in these stupid numbers. Uh, just make start to think about what you have or, or for example when when you have very rare species rare events uh, do you detect them at all or how often will you detect them so we have uh, we have taken data from uh, surveys long-term monitoring surveys for example and we just extracted how much time do i need until i find all species which is yes. what you want as consultant you want to find all species okay then you have to wait 170 days uh, okay if this is the job it's the job you can't tell um the, the species composition after uh, five days for example yes sometimes yes. it works um but uh often not so uh, just these 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 considerations um uh there's there, there's so much um you see in your daily work and you, you, you think, okay, please, why do you write this in your report? It can't be true. Just go back to the basics and, and, and th think about um, um, what's, what's the real case here. So um, things like this. And then there's some more technical stuff. This is the, the biggest problem is uh, that people use a computer, they use a smartphone, uh, nowadays, the smartphones with uh, auto ID and, and you record the bad calls and you press a button and something happens and you're happy and uh, but <laughs> yeah. you don't have to be able to program it, but you have to be able to understand what is happening. So the simple thing is the uh, fast Fourier transform. It creates a spectrum or a sonogram. And in your software, you have switches and you can set 
window function, window size, whatever. Please, <laughs> you have to understand what you said because otherwise uh, you, you can read different data. And we, 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 we have one example where you do a spectrum. Yeah. Just by setting a different uh, window function, you get a different peak frequency. And we're talking about three kilohertz difference. Yeah which okay. is in Maori species or from a different species if you only look at this parameter. Um, so, yeah. Um, okay, so, okay. so it can not only, not only can it look different to your eyes by doing that, it can actually feed the software different information, which then generates potentially a different result. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's, and it's the, but it's the same sound that you recorded at the start exactly exactly yeah 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 or the, the the same animal if you look at uh how sound propagates this was another another topic sound propagation in air yeah. um if you have a um nutter's bed which usually has a very high uh call range so starting at 150 kilohertz going down to 20 kilohertz three octaves something like that i'm, I'm not, not not good in this musical stuff but many people use it and i think it's around this this value uh, yeah, and uh, high frequencies travel less well. Very simple. So, um, and then then you have to consider if you have a recording, was the bed closed or not? If the bed was closed, you have a good overview of the call range, the frequency range. If not, uh, the bandwidth might be completely different than what you think. So, um, so things things like this, and it's actually in my daily work, I see that people still don't consider what is missing from my data or how is it influenced by my analysis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I see a lot of this. And, and sometimes when, quite often actually, I would say, uh, you know, you see a call on a spectrogram and you think, uh, for example, I'll keep it simple, um, is that a quiet bat that's quite close to the bat detector? Or is that a louder bat that's further away, but I'm not seeing the higher frequencies because of attenuation, for example? Yeah. Yeah. No, and, yeah, yeah. and when you're looking at a call manually, uh, I suppose you're, you're, you're able, assuming you've got the knowledge, you're, you're able to perhaps make allowances for that. But when you've got an automated classifier system that is sticking to a set of rules, it, it, it can't make that uh, human adjustment. To, exactly. It, it, it's just dealing with the data that it's being asked to deal with. It, it, it doesn't think this might be allowed a bat further away or a quiet Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. And, and I do think, kicking, going back to a point you were making earlier, um, and I've said this, I've said this to a lot of the people that build these things, so I'm not afraid to say it in a recording. Uh, you know, firstly, uh, me personally, I am not against automated classifiers, which that maybe surprises some people when I say that. I am not against automated classifiers. I think automated classifiers are extremely powerful, extremely useful, can be extremely effective. But the things that I struggle with when it comes to the use of automated classifiers is uh, 
I suppose it's two things. Um, firstly, is the people that sell the systems, be it the systems that automatically tell you on your phone what species of bat it is, or the more complex systems that uh, give you a lot more data. The people that sell these systems, generally speaking, do not put enough accessible emphasis to the person buying the system regarding the strengths and the weaknesses of the system that they've bought. So what quite often happens to someone that's relatively inexperienced or relatively new in the bat world, they will buy a bat detector that's got auto call identification on it, and they will naively assume that what the bat detector tells them is always going to be correct. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason for that is because it hasn't been explained forcefully enough upfront at point of purchase. Yeah, no, yeah. The, the issues. So, so, so that's the first thing. So I want you to store that, Volker, and give me your thoughts on that. Uh, and, yeah. And the second thing is these classifier systems, to me, I don't find them as useful on an individual call-by-call -call basis. I find them more useful when you have got a large data set, you know, thousands of calls, and you're needing a system to quickly put things into buckets, into compartments, to then commence with the analysis process at that point, rather than relying on the buckets everything's been put into. So, so two things there. Uh, do you want to comment uh, mm -hmm. whether you agree, disagree? Any thoughts on what I'm saying there? I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing uh, with both. This is both in the book as well. <laughs> so uh, for, for a good reason. So um, the, the, the first thing is in one chapter, we deal with this problem um, that the classifiers will, in some situations, may, maybe only in some situations, um, give strange results, wrong results, maybe in many situations, uh, depending on uh, how they trained uh, and where this data you sample comes from. So um, we, we know, we know for, for nearly no species, we know regionality, but let's say there are dialects, for example, and they are trained in the UK, or in my case, they are trained main, um, in the software I've written, trained with most determined calls, for example, then they move to the UK and the classifier, the, the bats there have a dialect, bang, doesn't work. So this, this was one thing um, that we stressed in the book, uh, exactly uh, because you don't get this information anywhere else. So um, you can look at simple pictures with some dots, some are black, some are gray, and you easily see, okay, there, there happens something um, when you fit uh, or put in uh, calls in such a system. Um, the other thing is um, if I do a call by call analysis or if I have a single call, manually analysis is always better. I don't need an automatic tool for this, an automatic tool I need for long-term monitoring when I want to find the probability or when I want to find the improbable occurrence of a rare species after 150 
days, for example. Um, I don't want to go through all these files. Uh, this can be 100,000 files. But there I want my uh, auto classifier, which gives me with a very high real, uh, high probability gives me pipistrellos, pipistrellos. Don't look at this. Gives me, um, for example, all this, um, we, we call them nyctoloid uh, species. There, there's a table uh, showing the overlap in noctula, lysla, and the apticicus species and vespatilio. Don't look at this. I want this rare events, for example. So uh, I can define what I want to look at and the rest doesn't matter. And um, this is also something um, we try to some degree, try to, to um, show this in the book, uh, how to deal with, with data in such a way. Um, of course, it highly depends on the software you are using, um, how your filters can be defined. So uh, we didn't want to write anything special about any hardware or any software. This was on purpose. So you, you will not find in the book uh, listings of detector AB doing this or that, um, or listings of software A does this better and software B does this better. Um, because this is impossible. It's a, there's a fluctuation, the things are evolving. And yes. we didn't want to, to have a book and people will go and buy detector A think it's better because we think it's better um so you, you you won't find anything about any hardware or software products or hardly anything there is some mentionings of course but uh no positive things and no negative things that was very very important to stay neutral yeah especially with with my background oh yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely and and i would confirm that when reading the book uh, that that was the that was very much the impression uh, that was given uh, as as a reader, and and I think you're absolutely right there because even if you were able in one moment of time to cover all of the mainly used software packages and all of the microphones and all of the bat detecting systems and all of the brands. Um, by the time the book hits the shelves, which would be maybe six months after you've written the, the last word, um, someone's done an update or they've launched a new bat detector and, and there is no such thing. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm being careful what I'm saying to you because of your eco-obs background, but, <laughs> but, but, but there is no such thing as the perfect bat detector or the perfect software because... No. Uh, what's perfect for one job or one type of development or even one survey team may not work at all for a different job or a different survey team. And exactly. It's what's, per it's what's perfect for you, I think, is the message, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the thing I say to people all of the time, because I, I get this a lot, and you see this a lot on Facebook and stuff as well, and I never get involved in this, but someone will put up a post, what is the best software to use, you know? And I, 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 I just hold my head on my hands and go, but I can understand why they ask the question. So it's not their fault, okay? Because it's a really good question to ask, but I hold my head on my hands and I go, oh no, oh no, I know what's gonna happen now. You know, everyone's gonna come in with their opinion. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
And the fact of the matter is none of their opinions really matter because what's some, if, if there was a perfect system, if there was a perfect bat detector or a perfect software that was truly perfect, I think we would all be using the same software and the same bat detector, yeah? Perhaps. <laughs> ah, nah, because of the cultural differences. Uh, this is well, what yeah, I learned, yeah. 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 Uh, because is what, yeah. perfect is always defined in, in your background, so, or with your background and this is the culture so uh, yeah um whenever i get asked this question i tell people by by the book and uh you will you will find your uh, your answer um and it's not 42 even so i would have loved to put it in there somewhere but um yeah. the answer is um there, there's even a chapter and we clearly state uh the best detector is the one you can work with best or yeah. simplest and uh for example if you if you use uh, a heterodyne system with small or big buttons yeah if you have yeah. small hands small buttons are okay if yeah. you have big hands the small buttons means you press all of them together and uh, the device crashes or explodes or whatever was implemented when <laughs> all buttons were, yeah <laughs> you never know you never know so um and uh this is the same with with um with the software as well and um i have uh feedback for example by by many users since i write software and uh, i see how different people work with computers and for some people i know they would never be able to work with my software because they think different so um so um the answer there, there is there is exactly no answer uh, apart from get a book and uh read in the book what's what's written there and you will find your answer yourself um you think as an experienced bat worker okay do you think this book is aimed at someone who's just starting out or is this maybe more aimed at someone that's maybe been doing it for a year or a couple of years and they're beginning to think about that they're beginning to under, they already understand how their equipment works and maybe how to use software but they don't necessarily understand why it does what it does i mean so what's your feelings there is this an entry level user book or is this for someone that's slightly more experienced, maybe working within an organization doing development work? Any, any thoughts? Yeah. Um, the topics in the book are, I'm also teaching them. Um, we, we have something like Bad Conservation Trust here in Germany. It's um, it's an, a free entity and we, we're doing bad acoustic courses, um, which cover most of what what is in the book and uh so i have a lot of feedback from from people beginners as well as intermediates as well as experts and uh in my opinion there is no uh special entry uh or special focus on entry uh level users or on um experienced users uh in, in my opinion if someone starts with working with bats if he reads the book then he will not he will he will omit some of the mistakes yes. others are doing yes. um but also knowing from my work having experienced users working since 30 years with better or in bed acoustics mm, uh, some of them i had had to 
put onto the book and tell, tell them, okay, you see, you're just talking plainly false things here um, because uh, the, the problem is you couldn't learn it. You started using um, bad detectors 30 years ago. There was no one teaching you. So you, you, you made up your own system yes. in your head yes. and this not necessarily is right. So um, for example, reading in, in, in sonograms, reading frequencies of 42.25 kilohertz. Yeah, it's not possible if your uh, frequency resolution is only a kilohertz. This yes. is just something your computer gives you. It's yes. it's useless. Um, so um, actually, it's it's. Um, I think it's a worth reading for the beginner, for the intermediate, and for the expert. Yeah, yeah, I, I really, I really like that. I like, I can, I, I can see that. Um, I think because no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously when I read it, uh, I'm reading it based on my experiences, on my background, which is the way that anybody else would do. And, and yeah, and there was, for me, um, there was quite a few things in there that uh, I was read, uh, no, I, I was already quite accustomed to, but there were also things in there that uh, I maybe knew, but I didn't quite appreciate why I knew what I knew, okay? And then there were other things in there that I thought, oh my goodness, that has really got me thinking about this in a different way to how I've ever thought about it before. So I kind of, I suppose I, I had all three levels of experience there, if you see what I mean. And, and I would imagine someone else that is fairly experienced uh, reading it with their background, they would maybe experience each of these three levels, but in different places to where yeah. somebody like me experienced it. You know, so different people will will take different things out of it. And 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 I do remember. Well, I remember thinking to myself because I knew I was going to have to do this interview with you, and I remember thinking to myself reading it. If if I had the experience of maybe only having done this for a, a year or a couple of years, um, you know, what would I be getting out of this? And and I think my uh, my my instinct was, and it's impossible to say because everybody's different, but my instinct was, if somebody was reading this very early on, um especially if they're working on big projects within the consultancy world, for argument's sake, and they're trying to decide as a business or a team or an individual how to, uh, you know, go about the process of doing large surveys, for example. This stuff is kind of giving, uh, it's not giving all the answers, but it's definitely giving all of the questions that you should be asking when you're thinking about what it is you're about to do for that particular client. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this is ni very nice to hear because this this was the intention and um, it was a very bold move we made when labeling this handbook because handbook yeah. Yeah. had uh, 
it took me a couple of days to accept that we call it handbook. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a real bold, a real, real bold move in my in my opinion. Because handbook has something very definite. It's, it's something um, it's something authoritative. Yes. Um, it's not like the bad calls of England or the bad calls of France or the bad calls of Europe or which is big enough. But to call it handbook, yeah, is 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 more than 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 just a book about bets or bet calls or um bet sound or whatever so um but uh, in the end um i was confident that the content rectifies this old title so yeah. um yeah yeah and this 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 you you just mirrored to me so um yeah 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 and i, and I think uh, and again and i can only talk about uh, a british isles perspective here when it comes to consultancy but but uh, certainly in some businesses, the, the person that's responsible for designing the surveys or choosing the equipment or doing the call analysis on the software, those people, uh, they're not always the people that run the business or they're not always the people that are the most senior ecologists in the team. They, they might be, but they're not always. And I can think of many businesses where uh, their top bat person maybe it isn't the most senior ecologist in the team. And maybe the sen most senior ecologist in the team that, or the business owner, they maybe don't understand bats to the same level. And I can imagine someone in that hierarchy sometimes having to have quite difficult conversations with their boss to explain why the survey is going to take so many days or it's mm -hmm. going to cost mm -hmm. so much or why we need to use certain processes when we're doing the analysis. And a lot of the time, that is just from a boss's perspective, perhaps, a wishy-washy conversation from a member of their staff that's trying to persuade them to do something, but they don't actually have the evidence to support the statements mm -hmm. that they're making. But I think I think with this, this in some of those, and maybe in many of those circumstances, could be the kind of look, hey boss, we've got to do it this way because you know, look here, you know, he, here is the reasons why we've got to do it. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. This that that makes really sense. Does this this was one of the in intentions and uh, I remember when the German version appeared there's a very very small um, we have we have 16 counties in, in Germany um, and one is Saarland very small on the French border really small so uh, actually it's just a city and um, not much more and um, the responsible person at the uh, nature ministry there uh, at, at a bed meeting, he came and asked Guido and me for a selfie because he got the German book and he liked it so much. It helped him so much in his work with consultants. So he could just open the book and tell them, but. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Look, one other thing I want to ask about the book, okay? Um, yeah. There is an awful lot of emphasis. Now, this isn't a negative thing, but I think it's just something that uh, is 
is got its foundations because of the experience of you and your co-authors. There is an awful lot of emphasis on wind development, wind turbine, uh, wind farms. Okay, uh, so an awful lot of the examples uh, relate to those kinds of projects. And I was, as I was reading it, um, I was finding that very, very useful. We have a lot of uh, wind farm development in the British Isles. But I was beginning to think at, at one point, why are there no other types of development included as case studies? Now, I then thought to myself, does that matter? And it probably doesn't, I don't think, because I think all of the points that you're making regarding the challenges with those kind of projects are almost all equally applicable, whether it's wind development or a road scheme or a rail scheme or a housing development. A any thoughts on that, mm. that bias towards wind from your point of view and how it then cross-relates into other project types? Any thoughts mm. on that? Yeah. It uh, has a very simple reason. Um, when I'm building a road or when I'm building a housing area, I'm looking at species that I can um, work with or uh, differently. Uh, I can use a mix of, uh, of methods. So working on a, on, 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 a, on a road development, the road is built through a forest. I use detectors, I do surveys and I do netting. So um, with the mist nets, <laughs> I get, get animals for telemetry. Uh, so I have a mix of methods available always whenever i do something on the ground or near to the ground um and then we move 200 meters up yeah it's not possible to set up mist nets so uh, it's also it's possible to do telemetry but it's it's uh, quite uh, it's quite impossible to have the animals um then fly <laughs> through the bland wind park for example um you, you just don't know you have a, a short short period of time you look at in, into something and then you have um the, the 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 wind power plant for the next 20 years standing there and there's mostly uh, acoustics to work with um to get long-term long-term telemetry uh, it's just not working yeah. um not now and not not in the next few years so um and this this is why why i think the acoustic will be for a long time the preferred tool when we when we look into wind power planning um and of course to the second part of the questions it's so easy to transfer we have uh, we have an impact on a species or on a group of species and we want to identify the impact. Um, it doesn't matter what kind of impact or it, it's, it is a bit of difference to do the, the bats get maybe killed or the bats get killed by um, a blade when they are in the turbulence. They also get killed by the turbulence when there's a truck driving past. Yeah, yeah. probably. So um, Similar impacts, of course, when we uh, deforest for a road, there's a bit different question what kind of roosts get, uh, 
do we uh, destroy? But still, it's the same question. Which species are here? Yeah. And how can we best uh, get the species assemblage by our methods? And as I said in the beginning, in the forest, we can so easily miss net and we can do telemetry work and find roosts. Um, it's manageable with acoustic, uh, acoustic detectors as well. You can do uh, this follow home, uh, transects, whatever. Um, but there you have a mix and you might have more powerful methods available, but not in 200 meters. Uh, you can't sit with your detector on a, on a wind metering mast and listen for a year for bats. Uh, it's yeah. just not, not feasible. So, um, and you can't put, you, you can put up nets. Uh, actually, you could um, have big mist nets um, floating up by uh, drones, for example. Why not? Yeah. But, Possible, but uh, not feasible. Yeah. 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 No, I think, I think that's interesting. I just really wanted to hear uh, your, action, your reaction to uh, what I was saying there. And yeah, I, I totally, I totally get what you're saying there. I totally agree. Uh, I suppose the the subject matter that you've been dealing with um, is for the reasons you've said, uh, probably the most challenging of uh, circumstances acoustically that uh, you can come across, broadly speaking. And by setting the bar high at that level for that kind of development, uh, anybody taking a similar approach with a lot of the things that you mention um, should find it mentally quite easily to transfer to transfer the thought processes into other types of bat work. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Um, and looking into in 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 um in the German situation, I think that currently eighty percent of all acoustic data is used for wind farm planning. Or was uh when we we had some uh this this is all so complicated. In the end, it's just uh funded by the government. Uh, so when we buy our power, our electricity. There's uh, some money transferred to uh, fund wind farms. Um, and um, thus, because if you have the area, you want to get some of this funding. So a lot of wind farms were and still are built. So a lot of work has to be done there. And uh, I would say that a large part of the studies, acoustic studies are done in um, in wind farms. They, they don't know where to get the consultants from or didn't know where to get the consultants from. So there's also many non-bad people that started doing surveys. So uh, of course, this is also in the, uh, implies that uh, I was focusing on wind projects with, with the book. Of course, uh, it's, it's not just something uh, or when you see this in your daily work, of course, you it's very hard to get it out of your head and just yeah. write freely. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I think no, I've, it's not. A, I don't. I, I don't see it as a negative thing whatsoever. I I just uh, I just want I just wanted yeah. to talk about it because uh, as as I was reading through page by page, chapter by chapter, it was a it was a common thread that was yeah. there. Yeah. And, and I just felt uh, it would be interesting to uh, get your, uh, you know, your, your perspective as to uh, 
why it was and that it is actually all transferable to yeah, other yeah. things or 90% of it. I mean, there are certain things to do with wind farm development that are very specific. For example, oh. stick, sticking back detectors up in the, the nasal head of the, yeah, yeah, of the yeah. wind turbine, you know, that's something you're never going to do on a road, on a road job. But, but, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But, but all of the challenges to do with choice of equipment and use of equipment and software and manual analysis and automated analysis and taking the data and trying to uh, interpret what the data is telling you, all of that pretty much is the same, no matter, yeah, 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 yeah. No matter what project. Exactly. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Okay, that is, uh, you know, that has been really, uh, that has been really, really fascinating. Um, is there anything else you want to very quickly bring out from the content of the book that we maybe haven't discussed thus far? Uh, any any mm. thoughts there? Mm, I think we have to, we, we went through all all of the content. Um, just let me no no there's 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 still left something out for the readers so uh, the readers are still uh, happy to find some new things but I think we covered uh, nearly everything. Yeah 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 no it's no, it's, it's brilliant stuff brilliant stuff. Right well I think that takes us uh, to the end of this interview and I've got to say Volker uh, this is the second time as I said at the beginning that you and I have talked on camera and we only met each other actually for the very first time back in June when we did the first interview and I've, I've found talking to you uh, inspiring and interesting and fascinating and I'm sure that anybody else listening to this uh, will find the same and it's also just really nice to get the story or a little bit more of the, the story behind, behind the book such as this and the authors. Um, because it's, it's so easy to pick up a book and just read the content without actually wondering things like, well, why did they do this in the first place? And who are <laughs> these people? And, and stuff like this. So I, I think it's been uh, really, really fascinating to to explore that, you know, with you. Uh, so th thank you. Is there anything else you want to say before we close things off? I, I, I always worry at the end of these interviews that that I've forgotten to cover something really, really- ah, No, 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 <laughs> all fine, all fine. And then uh, if if there would have been something missing, then it would have been a follow-up uh, possibility. So no, no, but uh, I think we, we covered mostly uh, everything and it was uh, really nice again and I hope this wasn't the last interview or the last thing um, we did together because um, it's it's also very very enjoyable for me. Okay well thank you that's very nice that's very nice uh, of you to say that because um, I suppose at the end of the day we're just a couple of uh, we're just a couple of uh, you know bat workers that are just trying to uh, <laughs> you know, make our way through all of this information and all yeah. of these problems and all of these challenges. And, and it's just so nice to, you know, for me, and uh, it's just so nice to talk to people that have got similar interests. Um, yeah. And I always learn stuff. So yeah, thank you for that. And I'm quite sure this will not be the last time uh, that we do something like this. Um, it's uh, 
undoubtedly going to be uh, other interviews and hopefully I'll maybe meet you in the flesh at a conference or something yeah, at some yeah. point as well. That, that would be nice. Volker, feeling dank. Uh, Say again. Okay, that was, that, that was very good. Uh, so uh, thank you very, very much for that. And I'm going to say goodbye, Volker. Uh, stay on after I've stopped the recording. We'll have a quick chat. I'm going to say goodbye. But to finish things off, I'm just going to ask you to say goodbye to our audience and then we'll stop the recording. Bye. It was very nice being here. We hope you enjoyed this Talking Bat interview, which is an edited audio-only version of the original video session. The full version, including video, is available via Betability Club, our online training platform. To find out more about Club, go to betability.co.uk. Till next time, thank you.